Come on, let me hear your best praise. Somebody shout unto God. He is worthy to be praised from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same. Our God is worthy to be praised. I'm going to preach in 15 minutes. Y'all think I can do it? <laughs> I'm not sure I can either, but I'm going to try. Come on, one more time. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, one more time. Come on, give God praise. Hallelujah. I am excited to be here today, and we've been talking about belonging. And uh, whenever there is great possibility, there's also responsibility. So let me just do this quick. Come on, lift your cup up before the Lord. Would you humbly say, fill my cup, Lord, and let it overflow. One of you know that before I preach to you, uh, it's important to me that you know that I love you. God bless you. Bless you so much. I thank you. There's a word from the Lord. It's in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter number 24. Thank you to the ops team. I should say also thank you so very much for your salute to the pastors. I'm ecstatic to be here. Uh, this is where I want to be. I love this church. I love this opportunity. I preached two weeks ago that um, um, the foundation for belonging is just that we're beloved. Uh, but if we can get belonging right, then collectively, um, consistent with what the office team says, uh, I'm excited and I'm here because of what I believe we are to become. And so I'm so excited about that. Come on, lift your hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to share your word. As brothers and sisters, we are here today. And our ops team has just challenged us. And God, uh, I don't know what anybody thinks about that. But when we look in your word, and that's what we're going to discover today, uh, there were many opportunities in scripture where you challenged your people to give. And, and therefore, they were able to walk into a blessing. So as we lift your word today, I pray that nobody sees that broken, that flawed, that sinful man that's on the uh, stage today that your people will only hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's give Jesus some praise. <clears throat> now, I don't have the scripture, but would you go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 24? We don't have it on the screen today. Uh, beginning with verse number four. I think that we'll see a lot of what the ops team just, just, just talked about echoed in this text. Uh, it's like the ops team read this text when they gave this presentation. Beginning with verse 4, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Here's how it goes, church. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of God. Look at somebody and say, that's important. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all of Israel, here's that word, money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the word says that the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king Jehoiada called Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, have broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of God, of the Lord, to the Baals. Then, at the king's command, they made a chest. They called the ops team. They made a chest <laughs> and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. 
And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced. Let me hear you rejoice. They brought their contributions and they put them into the chest until all had given. So it was at the time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites. And when they saw that there was much money that the king's scribe and the high priest officer came and emptied the chest. And they took it and returned it to the place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. And the scripture starts off by saying, now it happened after this. And I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of history, but you know that um, Joash is this this boy who becomes king of Judah at seven years old. And the Bible says after this, that after this means that he had actually survived an assassination attempt. That uh, Athaliah, uh, you heard this, uh, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's daughter uh, married this guy's grandfather and introduced Baal worship into the kingdom of Judah was an unholy alliance. And so when her son died, she actually took the reign. She served in Judah. The only problem was she wasn't a rightful heir to the throne. But in order she put her muscle in, she had everybody killed. And she assumed that everybody was killed. But how many of us know that God will make a way? <laughs> God will make a way. So, so this little boy was hidden for six years. He was hidden in the temple for six years. And, 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 and he was the true and rightful heir. So after six or seven years, they brought him out as the rightful king of Judah. The good news is he's alive. The bad news is he's only seven, and a seven-year-old can't run a nation unless God puts the right people around him. I wrote a book about it. Uh, uh, And so there he is. There he is. And so that after this is, uh, watch this church. After the devil tries to do everything he can to destroy you, somebody know, praise God, that he's giving you an after this. Come on, give God praise. After this attempt, so the good news is he's alive. The bad news is he runs a kingdom that has been destroyed by six years of Baal worship and idol worship. And his assignment, church, is to go into Judah and to restore the worship of the true and living God. That's his mission if he chooses to accept it. And one of the symbols, though, of God's presence in the community was this temple, this temple that Athaliah and her sons and, and all of her priestesses and all had used for Baal worship, and they had taken over the temple of God. And now the temple was in refer, ill repair, and they had stolen a lot of the artifacts. And his mission is first to drive them out and reestablish the worship of the true and living God and to repair this temple. But he has one problem. He doesn't have any money. He has the assignment, but he didn't have any assets. He has the responsibility, but he does not have any resources. God put this in his heart. God put it on his heart. This is why he was saved. This is why he was sheltered for six years and couldn't be killed because God had an assignment for his life. And now he's right there, except God gives him a responsibility, but God has not given him any resources y'all and that's where we are today and 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 so so how then 
And why then would God call us to something for which God himself has not amply supplied? Why this gap? Why this division? And and I've got about seven more minutes. And if you don't get anything else that I say today is that many times, church, this gap, this void is designed by God. God brings us to this place. And today our ops team came up here and so eloquently, Austin, something else anyway, <laughs> so, so eloquent, Corley and Bill. So why, why the need for 10% more giving, 20% more giving? And I want to suggest, strongly suggest to you that many times God is in that. God is in that. Why the gap? You don't get anything else I say. Whenever there's a vision, one of the things that God will give us in the vision, because without a vision, the people perish, right? So God will give us great vision. We've got great vision here at Common Ground Northeast. You guys were so good to us today, and we're blessed to have great leadership here at Common Ground Northeast. So. Vision is, is it God-inspired? Right? Because at some point, God, if he's leading the vision, he also has to seed. And God is going to seed some things that none of us have. Right? So the first thing we have to decide for your family, your marriage, whatever it is, is am I out here doing my thing or am I really aligned with something that God wants to have? Because if I'm doing my thing, then I got to make it happen. So this thing that we're doing at Common Ground Northeast, uh, blending cultures, this great vision, right? How many of us believe that's God-inspired? God is behind this. So we can rejoice. We can check off the first one because we know what we're doing. Why do we know it's right? Because it's costing us. It's painful. It's not easy. And therefore, we can conclude that, man, I bet that this is God-inspired. Checkbox number one. Number two, will it take time to manifest? Right? Because the element of vision is that it is for an appointed time. We can't do the vision today. That if it's a really great vision and it comes from God, it's for a future state or condition. We are not what we are going to be, but we're going to be amazing. But it's not today. We're still working on it. We can't become, because we don't really have everybody belonging yet. Good vision. If it's real good vision, it shouldn't be able to happen today. It shouldn't happen quickly. Write the vision and make it plain, but it's for an appointed time. Number three, I love this part, and this is in the story. Does it seem impossible? Or there's some elements that suggest that the vision is impossible. Are you just, there's not a lot of precedent for what we're trying to do, right? This is hard. There's a reason 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. It's not just because. It's because we have preferences. We prefer to do it our way. We define God the way we believe he wants us to define him. And and, and if we want to come together, then, then somebody might have to look 
broader at the way they see God. It's hard. And some might even say it's impossible. In Judah's case, they didn't have any money. So it was impossible. Number four, does it require a move of God? That if everybody did everything that they can do, and if everybody brought everything that they had, there's still a gap in what we can do in our humanity and the vision. Because at some point, the vision requires the supernatural move of God. If God doesn't do this, we're not going to be successful. And you should be out there in your life, in your vision, what you aspire to. You should be out there on all you can do, understanding it's going to come up short if God doesn't do what he can do. Number five, and most importantly, for our sermon today, because I got six more minutes. uh, (laughs) Here it is. Does it require contribution? Does it require contribution? Are you doing something that necessitates other people coming along and helping? In Judah, the vision required contribution. Not only require, does it allow or a lot for other people to come along and sow into it? So, so if the temple is restored in Judah, then everybody gets to worship in the temple. And the temple, the restored temple, uh, uh, reflects what God can do in the life of every individual. So like, like the temple, you might be tore up, but when the temple is restored, then you know that God can restore you as well. So, though, God uh, makes it or allows it the gap to give all the residents of Judah and Jerusalem something to sow into. That I get to give into this. Not only do we get the restored temple collectively, but if I give into the anointed thing of God, God is going to bless me individually. So I want to conclude today. I want to give you the five levels and profiles of giver, and Scripture bears all of these out. The gap, though, church, is God-ordained. It's the opportunity that you and I have to sow into something that's anointed by God. There are five levels of giver. This is what I used to teach uh, when I pastored. And we would challenge people. Scripture, as I have researched, when I teach giving, I, I say everybody falls into one of these categories, it's not exhaustive. There could be seven, there could be four. Here are the five I came up with. The first one is the miser. This person will not make anything available for God or other people. They cut off the cycle of blessing toward their own life. Their money is their remedy. They will not get a return because they will not sow anything into anything that's anointed by God. They'll see the gap, but they won't give into it. You guys remember Luke chapter 12. Here's an example of this. When a man had taken in a crop and his barns were filled, and then God blessed him to take in another crop, 
And here's what he said. He took in another crop, but he didn't have any room, any place for it, right? And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place. I have no room to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down barns, my barns, and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get these things you have prepared to yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So the first profile is, is the miser. This is a person that sees God blessing them, but they will never bless God back. The second profile I want to lift to you today is the measurer. This person gives very little. They never want to be upside down in their giving. They trust themselves more than they trust God. They sow sparingly. They sow begrudgingly. They are not cheerful givers. They will never sow enough to get a significant return. The Bible talks about uh, one example of this giver was that Adam, uh, when Adam and Eve had uh, Cain and Abel, that Abel gave God his first and his finest. He would not measure. He would not hold back. But Cain gave God his least and his last. That he would not give God the best. He measured. He pinched God off. And in the hood, we say, we broke him off a little something. He just broke God off. He would not pay God, even though God let it flourish, his gardens flourish. Cain is someone who would be seen as a measured giver. Abel brought his first and his finest. Cain brought his least and his last. The third category is the person who manipulates the system. This person actually believes in the process of sowing and reaping. They believe that the liberal soul shall be made fat. The problem is, is that their heart is not right. They give, but they give for the wrong reason. They are trying to use the system for selfish and personal gain. They want to know what's in it for them. If they don't see a yield, if they don't see it coming back, then they will not give. They try to manipulate the system. Acts chapter 5 tells the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They would be examples of this type of giver because they sold land and then held some of it back. And they walked in and Peter said, while it was yours, nobody told you to sell it. You didn't even have to bring it. But why try to cheat God? Why try to manipulate the system? And Ananias and Sapphira both died that day because they were manipulative givers. Been pretty bad so far. Don't worry, it's getting ready to get good. <laughs> Number four, this is where I always hoped Pastor E to get people when I pastored. The fourth level of giving is the person who is maturing in their giving. The mature giver. This person is learning to trust God with their resources. They see the benefit of putting into the system, watch this church, 
even if it hurts. Some people will look at these people and say, they look irresponsible. But an example of this giver, uh, the Bible says, then Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting in their money. This is Mark chapter 12 in the treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all others because they gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. The widow in Zarephath would also represent this. When she was going to make a meal for she and her son and die, and the prophet said, no, give me a little bit first. Because, because here's what happens with most of us. Unless God blesses us, we don't have enough anyway. We're not going to make it anyway. But because she took a little of what she had and sold it into something anointed, the Bible said that her meal never ran empty again. And then the last level of giver is this manifold giver. What does it mean? Tell them I'll call them back. It's <laughs> uh, good. This is the person who gives, who understands the flow of God. They in the flow, like this person, the, the mature giver, but this person is, is the next level of maturity. They understand everything I have belongs to God. And they want to pay into the cycle effect of sowing and reaping. So they don't hold back from God. They look for opportunities to release, right? Like it's better out there than it is in my pocket. I'm releasing because I, I, I'm in a system of sowing and reaping. And they live their lives looking for opportunities to sow. Abraham got to this place where he took the most precious thing that he had. It's like if God doesn't bless Isaac, right, then, then, then it doesn't matter anyway. And the Bible says that this type of giver gets back many fold of what they turned in. The Bible says, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, now watch, he gave, he, he gave Abraham, he gave Isaac. By myself I have sworn, said the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, then this is what I'm going to do. You're going to get it back more than you could ever imagine. In blessing, I'm going to bless you. And in multiplying, Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. You gave one son, but your descendants are going to be as the stars of heaven. Like, this is a person that's in the flow. They're getting it back more than they can count. His cup runs over because he is in the flow. I'm going to end like this. Got two minutes. Um, so, when I was pastoring the healing place, uh, we, like Judah, 
needed a place to worship. So we rented a storefront building. I got the pictures here. You can come look at them. And we walked in. It was dilapidated. My mother was like, <laughs> I took her to see it. I'm so excited. This is like, uh, are you sure, son? <laughs> this is what God said. Like, yeah, this is a church. And it's beautiful. Well, it wasn't beautiful that day. And we needed to restore. We needed to build it. And I had personally had some money. This is my testimony that I was holding, and it was going to go one of three ways. It was going to be the down payment on that Volvo S80. <laughs> or it was going to go to the church. So I was really cool not getting the car. I was going to give this money to the church. And I went to a revival. And like, like, like I'm the pastor of the church, like, we have a box. It's, it's raggedy. It's, it's messed up. And we want to make this the house of God. And I hear God say to me, so I'm, I, I'm, I got my own personal money. That I'm, the sacrifice of not buying the car and putting it into the church, that's easy for me. What wasn't easy for me is when God said, give it to somebody else's church. I'm like, oh, God. You're going to have to say that in my right ear because that's my left ear. This is, this is, that, that's, I'm struggling with that. I went to a revival and I heard God say, I want you to sow $1,000. This guy came from Tennessee. I want you to sow $1,000 into his life and ministry. And I didn't. I went home that, that Friday night. I'm like, I know I hear God clearly, but this just can't be God because this don't make no sense. And I went back the next day and said, I said, give $1,000. And I went up and I gave like, I gave this thousand dollars. And when I left church, I was hyperventilating. I'm like, it's like, that's the money I was going to give for our church. And what happened, you can see the pictures here. There was a men's group at a church that was looking for a project. And they heard that we were trying to build the Lord a sanctuary on 44th and Keystone in the hood. We're trying to make it beautiful, trying to make it as good as it could be. And they decided to take our church on as their project. I gave $1,000. They did all their work for free. It is the flow it helps me to try to be a mature giver because the $1,000 never would have paid for the work that they did. I gave into something that was anointed and it came back to our church many fold. I want to challenge you today as the ops team already has that gap that the ops team was talking about today, that 20%, I believe that gap is God ordained. Come on, everybody. Let's give God praise for the Lord.